at our house, we, uh, we decided to have movie night. And when you've got a family like ours, it, it is really difficult to find a movie that fits. All right? We've got uh, Susan and I who would, it, you know, we, we have sat through enough animated movies that we would like to watch something that would fit, that we would halfway be interested in. And you've got the boys who think they're ready to watch every action movie that has ever been. And you got the girls who want to watch Tinkerbell. And so we talked about it and looked through it, and we found this movie on Netflix um, called The Mighty Max. Anybody seen the movie? Here's why we chose it. Because I love a good sports movie. It wasn't animated, and it had no questionable content. Well, that, there are only about three movies in the existence of the world like that, right? So we started watching it. And here's what I, I thought about watching the movie last night. I love good sports movies. How many of you like sports movies? I mean, I love them. I love the, the, the reality of it. You know, people talk about uh, people on Twitter and on Facebook on Saturdays or Sundays will write something like, sports is the greatest reality television that has ever existed because it's real. And, and the best sports stories are ones that are real. But you know what I really like about sports movies? I know the plot already. Now, I know the plot. It's going to start out and they're not going to be very good. And they're going to go through difficulty and they're going to go through problems. And then somewhere towards an hour to an hour and 15 minutes in the movie, there's going to be this moment when the whole team clicks and everything comes together or the guy finally gets it and suddenly go into a training montage and games and it leads up to the great victory. Sorry if I spoiled any sports movies for you. We were watching it last night, and in this movie, there is that moment when uh, it's about a a girl who moves, a a lady who wants to coach girls basketball, and she moves to this team that's never been any good, and they lose their first few games. And there's this moment when she realizes that she's just fed up with them losing, and she takes them to this little creek bed, and she gets them to do defensive drills inside of a creek bed tunnel. It's just over and over and over again. As I was watching it last night, in my mind, I went through all those other great sports movies that I've seen where those moments, those training moments kind of happen. When Apollo Creed says to Rocky Balboa when he's about to fight Clubber Lang that he used to have the eye of the tiger. Some of you are looking at me like you have no clue what that is. How many of you know what I'm talking about, right? Amen. There we go. I could get some amens on that, right? And all of a sudden, that music starts playing. You know what I'm talking about. And then the training montage starts, and you know that Rocky's going to win. There's no doubt. Or when they're, uh, one of my, a movie that I like is Remember the Titans. And, you know, and they, they, they're fighting with each other, and they're at that camp, and everything's going wrong. And he makes them run down to the battlefield, and they get at the battlefield, and it's the turning point, right? It's that moment when everything changes. I love sports movies because the aha moment is so clear in them. Sometimes I wish my life had moments that clear. Now, here's the truth. I'm afraid that sometimes God intends for it to have those moments and I just kind of miss them. 
But sometimes in life, opportunities present themselves that are so unique, different, that you say it must be from God and it must be something that's going to change how I'm going. And over the last uh, over the next few weeks, starting last week, we're doing this series of messages called Aha. And it comes from this idea that we have these moments in life that suddenly God is trying to speak to us. Last week we started one of the most classic aha stories there is. Jesus telling of the prodigal son and specifically that line in there that says he came to his senses and said to himself, I must get up and go. And if you remember last week, uh, we um, talked about this idea of aha having three steps to it. There is an awakening A sudden awakening to something is different. Something must go on. There's honesty about who we are and what situation we find ourselves in. And then there's action to do something with it. Let me just tell you, if you you thought last week... Um, you know, the message of the prodigal son really kind of hit home and you'd like to look at that more, investigate that more. Uh, the, the concept for aha, this idea for aha for me, uh, the aha moment on aha, if you will, came from a book by a guy named Kyle Eidelman. Some of you know it's, it's a book named Aha out there and that's where the graphics for the series come from. And, and he spends the whole book on the prodigal son. We're not going to spend the whole series on the prodigal son. What we're going to do is we're going to look at instances in Scripture when people have aha moments. And here's what I want you to understand. Not every aha moment is the same, and not every aha moment is for the same purpose. Last week we looked at the story of the prodigal son, a fictional telling that Jesus did of a son that returns to the father. And the point there is to show the lavish love of God and that we can return to him. We can come back to him even when we have written him off and moved to the distant country. This week I want to look at another famous aha moment. But it's for a completely different reason. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Exodus chapter 3. Now, saying turn to Exodus chapter 3, who's the story about? Moses, right? Right, good. Somebody's out there, right. We're talking about Moses. Now, here's what I want you to know. This is an aha moment for a very specific purpose, but it's going to have the same elements. It's going to have an awakening. It's going to have a moment of honesty. It's going to have action, okay? Exodus chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. Now, let's just stop for a second, okay? Because this is a great place to remind ourselves why Moses is tending the flock of his father-in-law. Was Moses born in a place tending the flock of anybody? Now, you, you know the story of Moses' birth, right? You've either seen Charlton Heston play it out, or you've you watched the DreamWorks production, or so, you, you've been in Sunday school. You know what happens here is Moses is born in a time when the Egyptians are saying the Israelites are getting too big. There are too many of them. We've got to kill all the males. We've got to kill all the firstborns. And so Moses is protected. Someone saves him. They put him in a basket. They run him down the river. He gets in the river, and who finds him? Pharaoh's daughter, Pharaoh's daughter can't kill the little boy, takes him into the house. He lives in luxury for many, many years. How many is many, many years? 
around 40. That's a lot of years, right? I'm, I'm closing in on that myself, all right? So 40 years, he lives in the palace. He lives there with the, the, the Pharaoh, and he lives in royalty. Now, when he gets to be around 40, he sees one of the Egyptians mistreating one of the Hebrews, and he kills him. Let that sink in for a minute. He kills him. In cold blood, you realize there was no way in their day and time to kill at a distance. So what happens? He runs. And he finds himself in the wilderness, in the desert, tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law. Fast forward another length of time. How long? Forty years. Now, quick, quick math. I'm just, I know y'all like it when I do math for you. It keeps your brain sharp, right? Forty plus forty is eighty. One thing that I say every time I preach this, if you are under the age of eighty, there is no reason that God can't still use you. Now, some of you are over the age of eighty. Guess what? There's no reason God still can't use you. Because it's not going to be done here in the minute. The greatest part of Moses' life comes after the age of 80. And all the 80-year-olds said? Now, some of you aren't 80 that said that, but it's all right. We need some help in the course, all right? So he's out there with his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And I think this phrase is just interesting. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Now, he was on the backside of nowhere. You see, we like Moses' story because we like all the miraculous things God does. But for 40 years, Moses lived on the backside of nowhere, feeling like he had been abandoned by God. In fact, there's not any evidence that he really knew who God was. I mean, he may have learned, the priest of media may have talked to him about him, but, but if you were Moses at this time, you're thinking, you haven't shown up in years. It's been, it's been centuries since you've done anything for our people. We've been crying out to you. What has happened to you? And on the backside of nowhere, in the driest desert wilderness place, Moses finds himself with one of the most menial tasks you can imagine, Taken care of sheep. And he stumbles upon Horab, the mountain of God. Verse 2. And there, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flames of a fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. Verse 3. So Moses thought that this is important. I will go over and see this strange sight. Something has happened. There's an awakening. There's an alarm that goes off. Something's going on. Something's different. Would you consider it different if there was a um, bush that was on fire and not burning up? Right? You walk over. you got to investigate it. Now, let's all be honest here. Not all of us would go investigate it. Some of you would be too busy to investigate it. i got flocks to tend. I can't go over there and check out that bush. Some of you would say, that's a younger man's game. I ain't checking out that bush. 
Some of you would just say, that's creepy. I don't want to see anything about it. So there had to be honesty and action. And he goes to the bush. (laughs) I love what he says. I need to go over there. I need to see this strange sight. Why is the bush not burning up? Verse 4. And I love this. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look. Don't miss that. Right now, there are a group of us on Wednesday nights going through the book Experiencing God. And many of you have been through that. Many of you are familiar with that. And uh, the realities of experiencing God is, first of all, that God is always at work around us. And he invites us into his work. And the principle is this, that Moses walks past the bush. God is at work. God is doing something. And God is inviting him to be a part of that. But we must respond in order for God to use. Moses walks by, the bush is on fire. He could easily say, I'm not going to worry about that today. You know what? I'll come back tomorrow. If that thing's still on fire, then I'll find out what's going on. It says he immediately went to it. He looked at it. And as he looked at it, as he approached, when God saw that he was coming, when God saw that he responded, when God saw that he was willing to do something, God spoke. Sometimes... People say, I just don't ever hear from the Lord. I don't know why the Lord won't speak to me. I don't know what the Lord wants me to do. Well, here's the reality. God will not speak to you when you haven't responded to the invitations he's already put in place. And when he doesn't trust that you're going to do anything with what he's going to say. God reveals, invites you to come, and you respond. Moses responds with the most simple and open response you can give to the Lord. Here I am. You remember anybody else responding that way? Isaiah chapter 6. Here I am, Lord. I'm here. I'm available. I'm ready. Now, most of you know the story. God tells him, don't come any closer. You're on holy ground. You're in a place and and all this has happened. And and then he, he tells him that there's a reason for this aha moment. He says, the reason for this aha moment, this thing going to be on the screen, but it's in verse 7. It says, I've heard the misery of my people. I've heard them crying out. I'm concerned about their suffering. I have come down to rescue them from the Egyptians and bring them out of the land into a good and spacious land flowing with milk and honey. And the cry of the Israelites have reached me. And at this whole time, Moses is probably going, amen, good job, exactly. That's what you need to do. I'm glad you're doing that. Good job, Lord. In verse 10, he says, so now you go. As I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Sometimes God provides an aha moment for you because you're going in a direction you don't need to go. And he's trying to lure you back like the prodigal son last week. But sometimes God gives you an aha moment to say simply this. I want to use you in ways that you could have never imagined being used. What I think is fascinating about this story is not just... That Moses has this burning bush experience is that it shows how real Moses is. And the Bible speaks directly about 
the obstacles that Moses faced in being used by God. And here's what I want to spend the rest of our time on today is just looking at the objections that Moses had and asking the question, are these things preventing you from being used by God? So maybe you've had an aha moment. Maybe you're looking for one, but you want to know what does it mean to be used by God? And for Moses, he is transformed in this moment. In fact, in Exodus 33, at the end of this whole trench that he gets through, and it starts right here in Exodus chapter 3, it says that Moses would go into the tent of meeting, he would talk to God face to face like a man speaks to a friend, and then he would come out and tell people what he had seen. Here we have that God reveals himself to Moses, and Moses is scared to death and doesn't know what to do. But the steps that are taken in the next few chapters show us how to be used by God in a mighty way. And I just want real briefly today to help you to see four obstacles that could be impeding your ability to be used by God. And they come directly from Moses' excuses. Verse 11. So he says, I'm going to rescue the Israelites. Moses is excited about that. And then in verse 10, God says, and you're the one that's going to do it. In verse 11. But Moses said to God, who am I? Remember, this is 80-year-old Moses. God, I don't know whether you remember this or not, but for 40 years I lived as if you didn't exist because I didn't think I, you know, I didn't really know where I fit into people. I know some of the stuff there, but then when I was 40 years old, I murdered a man. I'm out here. I'm a murderer in exile that my people don't like and the Egyptians don't like. That's going to be difficult for me to pull off. Who am I to do this? And I love God's response. Notice God doesn't say anything about who he is. Do you notice that? He doesn't say, well, Moses, here's who you are. He doesn't say that. What he says instead is, Moses, I will be with you. What he basically says is, Moses, it doesn't matter who you are. It only matters who I am. Moses is saying, God, I'm not worthy to do this. I'm not the right person for the job. There have got to be better people out there to do this than me. You you don't know who you're talking to, God. I'm the murderer. I'm the exile. And, And God says, if you're waiting on a moment to be ready to be used by me, if you're waiting on a moment when you are worthy to be used by me, that moment is not going to come. Some of you will never experience this kind of aha moment of purpose and what God intends for you to do because you don't think you're ready. Can I tell you something? You're not. Congratulations. You're not ready. God's working in and through us is not based on who we are or what we have done. It is based on who he is and what he has done. And some of you will feel this. You'll feel like God's calling you to say something to somebody or do something for somebody or give something to somewhere or or to do something that's out of your comfort zone. And something in your mind will say, but not you. There's got to be somebody else. Don't, Don't you remember when? Or what about when you said or what about when you did? And that voice in your head says, you're not ready. You're not worthy. It's not the best thing for you. In fact, Scripture says that we have an enemy who is the accuser of the brethren that constantly accuses us. And so can I tell you something? If you're going to be used by God like Moses was used by God, the first thing you're going to have to overcome is condemnation. You see, the enemy wants to condemn. God never 
condemns. In fact, you know John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only. What's John 3.17? For God did not send his son to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. In fact, there is a huge difference between what Satan does in condemnation and what God does in conviction. What Satan does in condemnation is you have messed up. You are the problem. You will never get out of this. Conviction is you committed something that's wrong. Let's deal with what is wrong. Let me give you a way out. If you're going to be used by God in a mighty way, we've got to learn that it really doesn't matter who we are. My favorite things with my kids right now is, um, especially Maddie, is one of these that there's just a sponge. And so we, we listen to a lot of Christian radio in our, our car driving around. And so a song will come on and she'll just start singing it. And it's just really cute in the four-year-old voice to come out singing. And there's a song, and many of you may have heard this, some of you may have not, but there's a song out uh, by a guy named Matthew West. It's, it's not new. Um, and it's called My Name Is. And Maddie will just start singing that. And I love it because the, the chorus of that, uh, I'm the child of the one true king. I am saved. I have been redeemed. And so when the question in your mind becomes, who am I? That's who you are. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ and been saved, you are a child of the one true King. You are saved. You have been redeemed. Amazing love has captured you. See, it really didn't matter who Moses was. What mattered is that God said it's you. So Moses asked the next logical question, although it seems a little blasphemous at the time, when he says, Who am I, God? And God says, don't worry, I'll be with you. And Moses says, who are you? Now, maybe you don't read it that way, but that's the way he meant it. Well, you'll be with me. Great. Who are you? Sometimes we're a little concerned about doing the will of God in God's way because we have lost a sense of how big and powerful and mighty God is. Moses basically says, that's great, but. We hadn't seen you show up in a few hundred years. Our people have been crying out for a long time. We, we've kind of lost a sense of the might of you because we haven't seen anything mighty happen. The second barrier to you is, is not just who you are, it's how big is your God? He, Moses was skeptical. He, he wasn't sure. Well, who am I going to tell sent me? In order to be used by God, you're going to have to overcome doubt about the way God can use you. Now, we have an issue with how big God is in our lives. That, that sometimes we don't just say it that way, but, but the way we pray and the way we act, we kind of demonstrate our lack of faith. You see, most of us spend way too much time on our problems in prayer and not on our God. In fact, we spend a lot of time telling God how big our problems are instead of telling our problems how big our God is. We think, God, how am I going to ever get out of the situation? God, I need your help. Why am I going to get out of it? But we're saying that not with, God, I expect you to do something miraculous and powerful and mighty and unbelievable. We say that saying, give me a logical three or four steps to get out of this issue. 
But God doesn't give three or four steps. God shows up. Moses is saying, God, I, I, that sounds great. <laughs> I don't even know who you are. Until I know who you are, I can't go forward. Now, what's God's answer? I am. Hey, Moses, you tell him I am sent you. Now, to some of us, that sounds almost like a non-answer. Who are you? I am. But that's not what it is. It is the answer. Basically, God says, you tell them, yes. Who sent me? Yes. Is it the God? Yes. Can he? Yes. Will he be able? Yes. Well, what if? Can't? Yes. In fact, the proper translation of that name, nobody really knows. Although the best we can kind of come at is God is basically saying, I am today who I have always been and will forever be. There is no one before, there is no one after. The first and the last, before time began, He was. After time ends, He is. Moses, you don't worry about who I am. I'll take care of it. Third obstacle. Well, what about them? What if they... After God says, I am who I said that I am and will do what I said that I do. Moses says, what about them? The idea there is that he says, what if they don't believe me? What if I go to them and I say that you have sent me? And they don't believe and they don't respond Verse 1 of chapter 4, what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? Now, imagine Moses' situation. He's going to go to the leaders of Israel and say, listen, I was having this conversation with the bush the other day. The shrub and I were talking back and forth. Imagine if I walked up to you this morning and said, listen, I had a sermon all prepared, but yesterday I was trimming the hedges and one of them caught on fire, didn't burn up. And he and I had a little conversation and he told me to tell you this. There are going to be some inquiries into my sanity. I mean, there may already be some inquiries into my sanity, but those would ratchet up. Basically, Moses is saying, what if they don't trust me? What if they don't believe me? What if they reject me? Listen, we can no longer let other people's reaction prevent us from doing what God intends for us to do. There is this very sad verse, and you don't have to turn there. I'll just read it to you over in John chapter 12, starting in verse 42, that says, this is while Jesus is there. Jesus is preaching. Jesus is doing miraculous things. In fact, this is the last week of Jesus' life. And in chapter 12, verse 42, it says, at the same time many even among the leaders believed in him in jesus but because of the pharisees they would not confess their fear their faith because of fear they were afraid they would be kicked out of the synagogue for they loved the praise of men more than the praise of god Jesus was with them. They believed, but they wouldn't say anything because they were afraid. Now, it's not just that they get kicked out of church. They get kicked out of life. They get kicked out of popularity. They get kicked out of having things like they'd always had it. The synagogue was the social center, the centerpiece of society. It was the popular kids' hangout place. And they were worried what people would say about them. And they cared more about what God, I mean, what people thought than what God did. If we're going to do what God intends for us to do, we must be willing to overcome the fear 
in our own lives. I was thinking about this week because this weekend, let me, let me, just, let me just encourage you to be here next weekend. Um, I am so excited about the guest speaker we have here next weekend. Wade Akins, who started the work that we do in Brazil, is a missionary that has literally traveled all over the world. When I list countries he's been to, um, Vietnam, China, uh, Indonesia, India, uh, he's been in Tanzania, Brazil. He, he just got back from Brazil. Went. He is currently on a trip to India. We'll get back from India on Friday and be here on Sunday. And so be here next Sunday because it will be um, it will be encouraging and challenging to you. But the reason I'm not going to be here next Sunday is because it is my 20th class reunion. And this week, I was just looking through the people that have RSVP'd you know, on Facebook. That's how you do for unions now, I guess. Who have RSVP'd that they're coming. And started just thinking about their lives. And what, what I know, some of their lives, I don't know anything about their lives past 1994. And I think about how much my life has changed in 20 years. I, I mean, I realize that I have been gone from there longer than I was there. Now look at how my life has changed and all the things that happened. And sometimes when you do that, you look back on relationships and people and maybe you see them on Facebook and you, you have some sort of regret about the way they have chosen to live their lives. I took out my senior yearbook where everybody signs, you know, best friends forever, keep in touch. And that's the last time we ever said anything to any, right? And I counted three or four of those people that I had thought that about, seeing what's happened with their lives, that wrote in my yearbook, you will never know the example you were to me in high school. Thank you for the example. When I read that in high school, I was like, man, that's great. I feel so good about that. You know what I look back on it now with? Regret. Because I never said anything or challenged them. You know why? Because I was scared what they'd think. I pray the Lord give me some opportunities this weekend. Praying the Lord will give me some chances this weekend. And I'm praying that when I do, there won't be fear. Listen, it is a major thing to overcome what other people think. I have a challenge with that now. With you. Y'all can be scary. Y'all know that? Some of you really scary. And there are times when the Lord lays something on my heart that we need to do as a congregation or that we need to do as groups. And I know people aren't going to like it. You know what the easy thing to do is? Well, let's just, let's just not bring that up. Let's just not worry about that. Let's just kind of, we don't want to upset anybody. We don't want anybody to leave. Moses says, what if, what if they... God gives him a sign. Says, "Let me show you something. If they don't believe, I'm going to let. I'm going to make them believe." But God's point is not ever about them. It's about us and Him and doing what He's called us to do. Romans one sixteen says, "I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, because it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes." Here's the last one, and then we'll get out of here. 
So God, he says, who am I? He says, who are you? What if they? And then he gives three words that are used in churches and in people's lives all through history. Verse 10 of chapter 4, he says, Oh Lord, I have never. Dot, dot, dot. I have never. Can I tell you something? In order to do what God intends for you to do, almost always it's going to require you doing something you never have done, never thought you could do, never thought you would do. Moses' answer is, I have never been very good at speaking. And now you've called me to be the spokesman for a nation. Sometimes God calls you to do the very thing you're not very good at. If qualifications are required to be used in God's service, then we are all out of luck. Amen? If God's waiting on the best resume to come in the door, then we're all out of luck. If you're going to be used by God in a mighty way, you must be willing to overcome your own reluctance. I mean, God says, listen, I'll give you the words to say. I'll tell you how to do it. I'll take care of you. Moses still says, please send someone else. And we have to be a little um, cautious in putting too much criticism on Moses. First of all, because we've all been guilty of things like this. But second of all, this is very early in his walk with the Lord. Even though he's 80 years old, he is very immature in the faith. But what we see here is once Moses overcomes all of those obstacles to being used by God, who he is, who God is, the fear of rejection, and his own reluctance, what follows in the rest of Exodus is one of the most miraculous stories that has ever been written. And here's what I believe. The same God that brought the plagues to Egypt and split the Red Sea and wrote the commandments on the tablets and gave manna to them in the wilderness is the same God we serve today. And He wants to use you to do mighty things for His kingdom. Some of you here today say, well, there's no way He could use me. That's the first objection. There's some of you that are still worried about whether God can do stuff like that today. Does he still work like that? And that's the second one. Who is God? There's some of you worried about what happens out there with other people. What will other people think if I say? What will other people think if I do? What will other people think if? That was the third. And there are some of you that said, but that would mean I would have to change. And I never thought. That's the fourth. What excuse have you been using? Or maybe it's excuses. And it's today your aha moment, your burning bush moment to be awakened to the reality that God wants to use you in a mighty way. Let's pray together.